So at about 7.42, my son Brady texts me and says, hey, Dad, we're under lockdown. This is Brian Muhlberger. And back in 2019, he's a dad of three living in Santa Clarita, California. On that day, two of his kids, Brady and Gracie, were in the local high school. So I opened up a group chat between Brady and Gracie and uh, started chatting with them. Brady keeps responding. Gracie's not responding. Brady, Brian's middle kid, was 16. And Gracie, his youngest, had just turned 15. She was a freshman with brown hair and a big smile, excited to be with her friends and into her phone. And I'm getting really, really nervous. As things are proceeding, I'm starting to Google what's going on, pick up Twitter feeds, finally find a, a KTLA, uh, the local NBC affiliate, doing a live chopper feed of the school. And I'm seeing kind of some chaos going on. Brian was seeing early reports of a shooting at Saugus High School. And I still haven't gotten a hold of Gracie. I have this bright idea, finally, to look at Find My iPhone. And uh, her phone's connected to our Find My iPhone situation. So I, I go ahead and look it up, and her phone is pulsing off campus. Kind of like up the street, around the corner. Maybe she's at a friend's house. Maybe she's playing hooky. I don't know, right? You know? And then I see it moving away from school. It's pulsing, kind of going down Bouquet Canyon, which is one of the main roads leaving Saugus High School. As I'm watching it, I see it turn, and I see it turn again, and I'm going, oh, no. It's going to Henry Mayo Hospital. As soon as he realizes what's going on, Brian rushes to the hospital. You have this weird feeling come over you. It, it happened from the time I was first notified of the shooting. Your body's already sensing something's not right. And so you're, you're sitting there kind of feeling this feeling, but you're also denying it to some extent. And then this doctor walks in. And it's just like all the movies. You know, they sit across from you. And I'm just looking at him going, don't say it. And he says, we've, you know, we spent about 90 minutes on your daughter. Um, we've tried everything. And uh, she didn't make it. Gracie was one of two students killed that day. Three others were injured. The shooter was a student at the high school. The following week, at a meeting with detectives, Brian and his family got more details about what happened in the shooting. And I said, well, what kind of gun did he use? And he says it was a, what's called a 1911 45 caliber gun. He goes, it was what we call a ghost gun. And I said, oh, what? I never heard that term. What's a ghost gun? And so we asked, what is a ghost gun? Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Lima. It's Thursday, April 15th. Coming up on the show, the rise of ghost guns and the efforts to rein them in. This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Looking to invest? Start your journey by exploring exchange-traded funds with GlobalX ETFs. Exchange-traded funds, or ETFs for short, create baskets of stocks, bonds, and other assets that you can buy in a single trade. 
Global X specializes in ETFs that track emerging trends, like the rise of artificial intelligence, as well as strategies aimed to generate income potential. Visit GlobalXETFs.com to discover how you can get started. In the last few years, ghost guns have become popular. They're sold online as kits of gun parts that buyers then put together themselves. Our colleague Zusha Ellenson covers guns. The way this all works, the central component of ghost gun is what's called an unfinished receiver. And an unfinished receiver is sort of the central piece of building a gun. And it houses the firing mechanism. So what you do when you're building a ghost gun is you order this unfinished receiver. You drill a couple holes with a drill press. Because you need to drill some holes in that unfinished receiver, the government doesn't consider it a gun. It's just a hunk of metal. And the laws around guns don't apply. No serial number, no background checks, basically untraceable. When you buy a gun at a store, which is how most people buy guns, you go into the store, you say, I want this gun, and you have to go through a background check, and they see if you have anything that prohibits you from owning a gun, past felony, mental illness adjudication, any number of other things. The other thing that happens is when they're selling that gun uh, from a manufacturer, it comes with a little serial number on it. And so that there's record of that transaction of where that gun was sold. But with the ghost gun, none of that applies. You just order the kit online and that's it. And in terms of the ghost gun industry, how would you describe it? Is it like a cottage industry of small businesses? Yeah, I mean, these are not your mainstream companies that are selling these things. You know, Glock is not selling them. Any mainstream company is not selling these ghost gun kits. This is a very new industry that has popped up. There aren't clear numbers on how many ghost guns are out there. But one measure law enforcement points to is that 10,000 ghost guns were seized in criminal investigations in 2019. And one of those 10,000 guns was used in the shooting at Saugus High School. The teenage shooter got the gun from his home. And what law enforcement believes happened is that the shooter's father, um, who was barred from buying guns because of, he was placed on a psychiatric hold, they believe that that's when he started making ghost guns because he couldn't go and buy a gun at a store. And so that's how the gun ended up at the shooter's house. And that's the one he brought to school that day. After Gracie died, her father, Brian, tried to buy a ghost gun to see just how easy it is to purchase one. And he ordered it in Gracie's name. I didn't actually think I would actually get it, to be honest with you. I would have thought they would have at least, you know, maybe Googled her name. So it was just kind of mind-blowing that it was able to come that, that easily. No background checks, no anything. It was just the credit card. What made you do that? I was preparing for a 60 Minutes interview on the topic of ghost guns. And I thought, well, I should at least know, you know, the process of getting a ghost gun if I'm going to talk about them. I was still educating myself on this. Again, very new to me. You know, I always thought you had to go to a gun store or gun expo and buy a gun and register it and do all these things. I didn't know it was that easy to just buy them online. Gun control advocates say it's too easy to get around the law and buy a ghost gun, especially for people who are prohibited from buying other guns. 
But some gun rights advocates say that building a gun is a longstanding tradition in the U.S. and that ghost guns are protected by the Second Amendment. The number one thing that gun rights activists say is they say that the concerns about ghost guns are overblown. They say, you know, there's no hard data showing exactly how many ghost guns are used in crime. They say this is the province of hobbyists who just like to make guns at home. And they say that making a homemade gun has always been legal in the United States and should remain so. One person who speaks up for ghost guns is Rob Pincus. He runs a group called Personal Defense Network. And he posts explanatory videos on YouTube about ghost guns. We're not making them for sale. We're making them as part of this hobby. And that needs to be understood and respected. This one with a polymer 80 top. This is the uh, Freeman Don't Ask DD 17.2. Good times there. Uh, the idea that that's somehow nefarious and scary of uh, an urgent issue that needs to be dealt with is ridiculous. Last year... Another shooting brought ghost guns into the news. Breaking news out of Compton. We've just learned that two LASD deputies were shot by a suspect, both reportedly shot in the head. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by C3 AI. C3 Generative AI enables rapid access to secure, traceable, hallucination-free insights from enterprise systems, all while using any LLM, helping enterprises turn the invisible into the obvious. Learn more at c3.ai. Last September, a man walked up to a police car in Los Angeles and shot two officers with a ghost gun. Authorities are looking for the gunman who ambushed two L.A. County deputies over the weekend. Both are hit at point-blank range outside a metro station in Compton. There is now a $100,000 reward leading to the apprehension of this gunman or accomplices. That shooting pushed police in L.A. and around the country to step up their calls for more regulation of ghost guns. When law enforcement starts paying attention to gun issues, they, they get more attention because it's not just gun control advocates, you know, law enforcement officials who are interested in it. If you go back in the history of gun control, um, you look at, say, the 1994 assault weapons ban. I mean, that passed in large part because law enforcement really was calling for it. They were afraid of their officers being outgunned in the streets with Uzis and AKs and that sort of stuff. So they really came out strong for it. And that was sort of the linchpin that allowed the Democrats to push it through. In December, agents from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms raided the offices of the company that made the gun used in the L.A. police shooting. That company, one of the biggest makers of ghost guns, is called Polymer 80. So the ATF went in there and they said, we think that you selling this whole kit that you can make a gun out of is illegal because it counts as a actually counts as a gun is what we think. And now they're in a big fight with Polymer 80 over whether that does indeed count as a gun or not. Polymer 80 responded to the raid in a statement on Facebook, saying that it was making its best effort to cooperate with law enforcement and that it takes its legal obligations seriously. In the meantime, Polymer 80 continues to sell all the parts separately 
just not in the same box. So not much has really changed. Then last week, President Biden proposed a slate of gun control measures, and one specifically targeted ghost guns. What Biden wants to do is he wants to take the ghost guns out of this gray area and make them like all other guns. You know, I want to see these kits treated as firearms under the Gun Control Act, which is going to require that the seller and manufacturers make the key parts with serial numbers and run background checks on the buyers when they walk in to buy that package. The NRA, the biggest gun lobbying group in the country, said it was ready to fight Biden's proposals. But Gracie's dad, Brian, sees Biden's move as a positive first step, a step that he says doesn't limit the right to own guns. I think a lot of folks feel that, you know, this is infringing on our rights to bear arms. You know, all these Second Amendment things, I'm like, I'm not against any of that. I'm a gun owner myself, but I also believe in following the process and following the rules. And when you start looking at a situation like ghost guns, you kind of say, why is it that we can have laws and all these rules that you can go and create something that purposely circumvents the law uh, to make it easy? Brian finds this easiness particularly frustrating. Like, this could be my 18-year-old son could be doing this. Or, you know, if you've got kids, your daughter or son could grab your debit card when you're not paying attention to your credit card and hop online and order it. And maybe you won't catch it for a month, but then it's already at your house. They've already made it and they have a gun. The background check piece of it, I think, is the most important piece to me because I think it just makes sure that, you know, you're legally allowed to, you know, own a firearm. Zusha says that Biden can act quickly on ghost guns because he's not going through Congress but how far he can go is limited. What's really interesting, right, is that Congress is entirely gridlocked over guns. Everyone knows that. Biden knows he can't get anything through Congress on guns. So when he's looking at this issue with ghost guns, what can he do? He wants the ATF to try to make a rule, and that's how they're gonna try to deal with it, through a bureaucratic process of making a new rule um, to account for these ghost guns. But for really big changes to gun law, uh, we need Congress to pass something. And it doesn't seem like Congress is going to make any bold changes on gun law. That's all for today. Thursday, April 15th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like our show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.